Hey, welcome to another episode of More Than Bread. I'm Dan, and I'm your host for this scripture-passionate podcast. You may or may not recognize this, but the true value of this podcast is not my stories, explanations, or applications. The best thing I do from episode to episode is simply read scripture. Well, when we say that you need more than bread, listen to me, you need more than my words. You and I desperately need every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need scripture. We need to develop voice recognition for Jesus, our leader, our king, our, our shepherd, teacher, friend, and big brother. You know, according to a Barna study in 2020 to 2021, because of COVID, 26 million people in America stopped reading the Bible regularly. Man, we need more than bread. We need more than stuff. We we need more than everything that we can find outside of Scripture. So that's what we're seeking, more than bread. This is episode number 93. That makes this the 27th episode in the Gospel of Mark, and, and we're just starting chapter 10. It's going to be a little while. We're getting there, though. So just listen in as I read Mark 10, verses 1 through 16 from the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. Then Jesus left Capernaum and went down to the region of Judea, into the area east of the Jordan River. Once again, crowds gathered around him, and as usual, he was teaching them. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? Jesus answered them with a question, what did Moses say in the law about divorce? Well, he permitted it, they replied. He said a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her on her way. But Jesus responded, He wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. Now, don't miss those two words. This is These are my words. Don't miss those two words, hard hearts. It's a concession to your hard heart. Divorce is a result of hard hearts. That's really what Jesus is saying. Verse 6, but God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Later, when he was alone with his disciples in the house, they brought up the subject again, and he told them, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries someone else, she commits adultery. Now, one day, some parents brought their children to Jesus. So so we're, we got a whole family theme going on, right? I mean, the episode, the last episode, it was about kids, and now we got divorce and marriage and and kids. Verse 13, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him, bothering Jesus. When Jesus saw what was happening, my words, especially on the heels of yesterday, the last episode, the last day in Jesus' life, where he's talking to them about how much kids matter. Now he's they're telling the parents to get the kids away from Jesus. So he's angry with his disciples. He said to them, verse 14, let the children come to me. Do not stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the child in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. Now, we all understand the importance of first things, right? First kiss, the first year of school, first impressions, first day on the job. It's all about getting a good start. And isn't that why we put so much energy and attention into weddings? I've done a lot of weddings, and and there's a lot of time and money and effort and attention put into weddings. We, It's because we want a good start to the marriage, 
But but let's take a, a moment and just ponder what is at the heart of a wedding. What elements are absolutely essential for getting that good start in your marriage and, and what's optional? For example, expensive clothes. The bride typically wears a beautiful dress that costs somebody a lot of money in the hopes that it will never be worn again. The groom usually rents a tuxedo because it costs less money, and frankly, nobody really cares how the groom looks. You never hear anyone say after wedding, oh, my, the groom just looked radiant. Nobody buys Modern Groom magazine. The groom's tux is optional. Frankly, I've done a few weddings where it almost seemed like the groom was optional. Clothes are not optional, but beautiful clothes, they're not essential. Then you have receptions, right? All sorts of receptions. Some include full meals, dining and dancing. Some are held in exotic places like barns with Clem's barbecue served. Receptions are are not essential to a good start. They're optional. There's so many different elements that you could have in a wedding. I've done weddings that had none of those elements. It's all optional. I'm optional. It's interesting. I've done dozens, uh, not dozens, I've done hundreds of weddings. And in most weddings, incredible amounts of time are put into planning so many optional elements, but often a fairly small amount of thought goes into the one essential element of every wedding. The heart of a wedding is the vows, right? That's what a wedding is. A a wedding is a vow. Everything else is disposable. Marriage begins with a promise. Some of you listening at this point, at, at some point you made that promise. You stood with someone else before witnesses and the God who created you, and you made a vow. You gave your word. You made a promise. That's the start of a marriage and the heart of a wedding. I remember my wedding day. It was over 38 years ago. I wasn't nervous at all. That morning, I was riding a cross-country motorcycle, jumping from a 30-foot bridge into a river, not nervous. I got dressed and went to the church, not nervous. I stood on the platform and watched Lynn come down the aisle, pretty calm. We even sang a duet together, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. No problem. But when the pastor said, do you, Dan, take Lynn, (laughs) it hit me that on the scale of big decisions, this is huge. With God's help, I'm committing everything I am to this woman standing beside me. Now, if you know Lynn, my wife, you know that except for the day I committed my life to Jesus, it was the very best decision I have ever or will ever make. I didn't question whether marrying Lynn was the choice of a lifetime. I was simply taking seriously the fact that I was making a whole life, whole heart kind of commitment. I do as in all of me forever, no matter what, with all my heart, I do. I promise this to you for as long as it makes sense. No. For as long as you love me back or it's easy, absolutely not. For as long as you make me happy, no. I I did not stand there that day with Lynn and said, I promise you that every day to come will be better than the last. I promise you unending bliss and happiness. If that's what you thought you were being promised, I guarantee that you will be disappointed. Lynn and I were married 38 years ago, and sooner or later, I know the day is going to come when she's disappointed. (laughs) I hope you know that's a joke. So what are we promising? I mean, many of us said words like to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. I will love you. But really, Jesus said the promises of marriage can be summed up in the words no longer two, but one. 
This explains, he said, why a man leaves his father, mother, and mother, and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And since they're no longer two but one, let no one ever split apart what God has joined together. See, the destination of this journey that is guided and guarded by our vows is the destination of such incredible unity that we become one heart. So just very simple, if you're married, as you're listening to this, or contemplating being married, but more if you're married, ask yourself the question, how am I doing at keeping my vows? Not asking you how your spouse is doing. How are you doing? What steps did you take this last week that took you closer to that oneness? Men know that to rise to the epitome of courage and honor is to be a brave heart. If you're finding the need to really connect with someone, you communicate on a de- to communicate on a deeper level, you ask for a heart-to-heart. When someone gives their all for the team or the job or marriage, you say they really left their heart on the field. If they hold back, they say, my heart's just not in it. And we realize that we have lost heart. Our deepest hurts we call heartaches. And if, if Lynn would ever leave me, I'd be brokenhearted and <laughs> she would be heartless. And in response, I might develop a heart of stone. But when I'm reminded that she'll never leave me, I... I grow lighthearted. <laughs> this is language of the heart. See, if I want to keep my word, I have to look at the heart of my marriage. Then Jesus left Capernaum, and again crowds gathered around him. Some Pharisees came to trap him with this question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? Now, in dealing with divorce, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were sometimes more concerned about rules than they were about relationships more concerned about being right than about being reconciled, more concerned with the looking good on the outside than they were with the transforming of a heart. And so Jesus answered them with a question. What did Moses say in the law about divorce? Well, he permitted it, they replied. He said a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. Now, you maybe don't understand this, but this notice of divorce is a reference to guidelines that Moses gave Israel in Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 5. In fact, those guidelines were meant to protect women and at that time make divorce more difficult to obtain, not less. In Moses' day, women were treated basically like property. Wives were shuttled back and forth between men like power tools and discarded like recycling. These guidelines were given to remind us how sacred marriage is and how how important people are to God. The Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus between the school of Hillel and the school of Shammai. Hillel, the liberal, decided an indecency could really be anything. Burning toast was indecent. Losing your looks was indecent. Shammai was much more conservative. Indecency was something immoral, like revealing your legs in public. See, here's what I think. I think the Pharisees thought that regardless of Jesus' answer, he's going to make someone mad. And at least one of the difficulties of dealing with this topic of divorce is its widespread relevance. I bet there are a few in our church family whose lives have not been marked in some way by divorce. I mean, the stats are all over the place. But regardless of which stats you choose, divorce has become fairly widespread. But another difficulty when we talk about divorce is that we're dealing with matters of the heart, broken, damaged, hurting, and sometimes hardened hearts. And there are few experiences in our human life that can cause more pain and confusion than that of divorce. And in all honesty, the church has too often been a part of that pain and not often enough a part of the healing. 
So I, I come to these words with reservation. I, I come to this text with reservation, not reservation about the truth and value of Christ's words, but rever- reservation about my ability to do his words justice and, and our ability to hear his words with the proper spirit. How does Jesus respond? He says, Moses wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard heart. See, Jesus isn't all that interested in divorce rules. He's interested in the heart of the marriage. Yes, 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 Jesus would say. There are times when divorce is tolerated, but it's never encouraged. I don't want to talk about divorce, Jesus Jesus would say. I want to talk about marriage. Divorce is a concession to sin and hard hearts, but in my kingdom, sin can be overcome and hard hearts can be made soft. Divorce is a concession to hard hearts, but Jesus came to heal hard hearts. So what is a soft heart? A soft heart forgives quickly. It's not defensive. It's filled with a peace that guards the heart, but from the inside out, it's not hard. Peace fills it, but it's not a wall. A soft heart is a heart that never gives up. It perseveres. It it, it endures. A soft heart is a heart that is no stranger to joy or passion. A, A soft heart is humble. Pride hardens hearts. Oh, my goodness. In Proverbs 13, 10, it says, pride alone leads to arguments. Every time there's an argument, there's pride. Every time there's pride, there's an argument. Pride keeps us from hearing each other. It it keeps us from admitting that our perceptions might be wrong. I don't need to hear what you have to say. I already know what you're thinking and what you're feeling. And if you tell me that I'm wrong, you're just being defensive, which just goes to show that I'm right. (laughs) Pride blinds us to our own faults. Love isn't blind. Pride is. A soft heart is committed, not just committed to staying together, committed to loving together. There's a difference. So perhaps today you say, but but I just don't love her anymore. I just don't love him anymore. Then I would say to you, okay, then then what you have to do is you, you have to love him. You have to love her. You say, but wait, wait a minute. I just told you that I don't love her. I, I know that's why you have to love her. You're, you're confusing the feeling of love with the action of love. You're confusing nouns and verbs. And the best thing to do if you don't feel in love anymore is to love. See, love is not just an overwhelming, intense desire. It is courageous servanthood. It's simple kindness. It's grace and forgiveness. It's cleaning toilets for her and long walks with him. It's defined by the passion of Christ shown on the cross. A soft heart is the heart of a child. And I don't know, I think that's why Jesus transitions back to kids. Jesus said, you enter the kingdom of God with the heart of a child. A child has to learn to harden his or her heart. And as is always the case, we we could talk about many different attributes of the heart of a child. I'll simply mention one. (laughs) And this is maybe going to feel like it's coming out of the blue, but I, I think it really matters. See, the soft heart is one that places a priority on play. (laughs) I remember meeting with a group a few years ago. The group was starting a new ministry and they had that sense that so many of us have when we're trying to do church. They said, we want to have fun, but we want it to be more than just fun. And we all understand that desire, right? We, We want to have fun, but it has to be fun plus something else, something else more serious, because what well, God is serious, right? And religion is serious, right? And because we need to grow and learn more and do things that matter. But but as I was preparing to meet with this group, the, the thought occurred to me, I think it was God, <laughs> saying sometimes it's okay if all you do is have fun. See, I think we need to develop a better theology of play. 
We need to understand God's doctrine of fun. Did you ever just go out and have fun with God? I was thinking about that, about play, about fun and games. You know, there's so many times when when my kids were young, I'd go out to play with my kids. Like I would go across the street to play basketball with Jake and Josh in the park. And seconds into playing, I'd turn into coach. Because, of course, I just want to help them grow and become better basketball players. But they can only take so much coaching. And pretty soon it's just, Dad, can we just play? (laughs) Dad, can we just play? See, when I put the coach aside and just play, it's like I'm saying, you know what, you guys, I just love being with you. It's not just about making you better. I just get a kick out of playing with you. Never underestimate the power of play. You know, there's just something about playing together. When someone lets you play, it's like saying you belong. And I think play is missing in far too many of our marriages. We're so busy making a living that we don't take time to play and enjoy the life we're making. Playing together keeping keeps our hearts soft towards each other. Vacations, practical jokes, play. So let me just ask the question again, how are you doing at keeping your promise? How's your heart? Perhaps it's a time for a renewal of your vows. Listen to the scripture again, this time from the message paraphrase. Starting in verse 1, it says, From there he went to the area of Judea across the Jordan, and a, a crowd of people, as was so often the case, went along. And as he, and he, as he so often did, taught them. Pharisees came up, intending to give him a hard time. They asked, Is it legal for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus said, What did Moses command? They answered, Moses gave permission to fill out a certificate of dismissal and divorce her. Jesus said, Moses wrote this command only as a concession to your hard-hearted ways. In the original creation, God made male and female to be together. Because of this, a man leaves father and mother, and in marriage he becomes one flesh with a woman, no longer two individuals, but forming a a new unity. Because God created this organic union of the two sexes, no one should desecrate his heart by cutting them apart. When they were back home, the disciples brought it up again, and Jesus gave it to them straight. A man who divorces his wife so he can marry someone else commits adultery against her, and a woman who divorces her husband so she can marry someone else commits adultery. The people brought children to Jesus, hoping he might touch them. The disciples shooed them away, but Jesus was irate and let them know it. Don't push these children away. Don't ever get between them and me. These children are the very center of life in the kingdom. Mark this, unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. And then gathering the children up in his arms, he laid his hands of blessing on them. Father, I pray for each and every person listening. I pray for mothers and fathers and sons and daughters of mothers and fathers, married or single, part of the family, part of the family of God. And sometimes, Father, it seems like there's so much in this world that that beats the child out of us. I pray that we would we would learn to play with you. I pray that you would give us joy. I pray that our hearts would become like the hearts of little kids. I pray for marriages where there is a beginning or maybe just a massive hard-heartedness. God, with all my heart, I pray that you would break the soil, that you would exchange our hearts of stone for a heart of flesh, a soft heart, a heart that forgives, a heart that won't give up, a heart that's guarded by your peace, a whole and healthy, passionate heart. 
God, I, I pray that you would do what some people listening to me right now feel like you could, could never be done. Would you heal families? Would you reconcile relationships? Would you bring back together fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters? Would you do this for our good and for your glory? And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.